I'd like to thank Aaron K for sponsoring this week's Torah content. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shirim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and access additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishnewis.substack.com. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the audio version of the three-page article I wrote and published on my Substack at rabbishnewis.substack.com on September 29th, 2023, Erev Sukkot, and the article is entitled, This is Your Mind on Lulav, The Psychoactive Properties of the Four Species, Part 1. First, a note on terminology. The term Arba'a Minim, literally four species, in this article will be used in reference to the four species of plants we are commanded to pick up and wave during Chag Hasukos, the Festival of Huts. The species are Lulav, a frond from a date palm, Esrog, citron, Hadassim, myrtle branches, and Aravos, brook willows. Sometimes the term lulav is used to refer collectively to all four species, as in the mitzvah of lulav. Section 1. Preface Last year on Erev Sukkot, I went to my local library looking for some nonfiction to read over Sukkot. Michael Pollan's newest book, This Is Your Mind on Plants, published in 2021, caught my eye as being thematically appropriate to the holiday. The book is about the culture and history of three psychoactive compounds, opium, caffeine, and mescaline. Once I began reading, I was, cough, cough, addicted, and finished it in a matter of days. Let me know if you want to read my book review. I was deep into the mescaline section of the book when I was struck by a radical thought. The four species are psychoactive. I knew I had to write an article unpacking this insight and its many implications, and so I did. Section 2. What does psychoactive mean? Before reading on, stop and ask yourself how you would define the term psychoactive. Go on, I'll wait. When I tried this myself, I realized that uh, I could use the word in a sentence, but I had no clear idea of what it meant. Here are some of the definitions that Google provided. From dictionary.com, quote, of or relating to a substance having a profound or significant effect on mental processes, end quote. From www.cancer.gov, a drug or other substance that affects how the brain works and causes changes in mood, awareness, thoughts, feelings, or behavior. And from Merriam-Webster, affecting the mind or behavior. I was surprised by how broad these definitions are. Can't any substance have, quote, a profound or significant effect on mental processes and, quote, cause changes in mood, awareness, thoughts, feelings, or behavior, end quote, if engaged in a specific way? Can chocolate be considered psychoactive? What about cayenne pepper or water? Yet despite the broadness of these dictionary definitions, the word psychoactive is usually reserved for drugs and drug-like substances. How do we account for this discrepancy? For kicks, I posed this question to ChatGPT version 3.5 and received this cogent response with my emphasis in bold. Quote, you raise a valid point. By a broad interpretation of the term psychoactive, many substances, including certain foods and beverages, could be considered psychoactive to some extent. The key distinction between substances like cayenne, chocolate, and water, and more traditional psychoactive drugs, lies in the degree and purpose of their psychoactive effects. Psychoactive substances are typically categorized as such because their primary purpose, or notable effects, are related to alterations in mental states or consciousness. In contrast, the effects of substances like water and chocolate on mood are usually incidental to their primary functions. End quote. This is a fair distinction. It answers my question about the flexibility of the definition and the colloquial usage. Now, hold on to that thought while we turn our attention to mitzvos. Section 3. Are mitzvos psychoactive? Based on all this, it would seem the answer is yes, 
not only do mitzvot affect the mind or behavior, as per Merriam-Webster's definition of psychoactive, but this is their primary purpose. The Rambam in the Mornavuchim 331 writes, quote, Every one of the 613 mitzvot serves A, to inculcate a true view or remove a false view, or B, to establish righteous conduct or remove injustice, or C, to train us in a good character trait or to caution us against an evil character trait. Everything is dependent on these three things, hashkafos, views of reality, midos, character traits, and actions which shape society. Thus, these three principles suffice for assigning a reason for each and every mitzvah. End quote from the Ramam. In other words, because mitzvahs change our minds, our emotions, and our behavior, and, and this is their primary purpose, they meet the criteria of psychoactive as defined above. Once this definition of psychoactive seized my mind, I couldn't help but notice the many parallels between my understanding of mitzvahs and Michael Pollan's characterization of psychoactive plants. Here are some excerpts from the introduction of This Is Your Mind on Plants, for which I've bolded the descriptions of the psychoactive properties. As you read, ask yourself whether and to what degree these could equally be descriptions of mitzvos. From page one, of all the many things humans rely on plants for, sustenance, beauty, medicine, fragrance, flavor, fiber, surely the most curious is our use of them to change consciousness, to stimulate or calm, to fiddle with or completely alter the qualities of our mental experience. From page four, Evidently, normal everyday consciousness is not enough for us humans. We seek to vary, intensify, and sometimes transcend it. And we have identified a whole collection of molecules in nature that allow us to do that. From page nine, a substance that can relieve boredom and entertain by sponsoring novel sensations and thoughts in the mind. Also from page nine, stimulating the imagination and nourishing creativity in the individuals who take them. Also from page nine, fostering a new, more rational and sober way of thinking that helped give rise to the age of reason. From page 10, promote experiences of awe and mystical connections that nurture the spiritual impulse of human beings. One of my favorite parallels centers on an analogy, and this is from pages nine and 10. Quote, it's useful to think of these psychoactive molecules as mutagens, but mutagens operating in the realm of human culture rather than in biology. In the same way that exposure to a disruptive force like radiation can mutate genes, introducing a variation and throwing off new traits that every so often prove adaptive for the species, psychoactive drugs operating on the minds of individuals occasionally contribute new useful memes to the evolution of culture, conceptual breakthroughs, fresh metaphors, novel theories. Not always, but not, uh, not always, not even often, but every now and then the encounter of a mind and a plant molecule changes things. End quote. There are so many mitzvahs which introduce and promote subversive ideas into the collective culture of mankind. The Shema's radical affirmation of monotheism, Shabbos as a public statement that the universe originated in an act of creation by a creator, the mitzvahs of Pesach and their message of freedom and human equality, etc. Paulin was not writing with Judaism in mind. He did, however, give a brief nod to religion in this sentence on page 10, quote, Drugs are not the only way to occasion the sort of mystical experience at the core of many religious traditions. Meditation, fasting, and solitude can achieve similar results, but they, are a but they meaning drugs, are a proven tool for making it happen, end quote. He's correct, of course. Even though mitzvahs are designed to effect these changes in our intellects, uh, in, in our intellects, our character traits, and our interpersonal conduct, their results are not guaranteed. Rabag mentions this explicitly in his definition of Torah as, quote, a God-given regimen which brings those who practice it properly to true success, end quote. 
As is the case with meditation, it is possible to achieve profound transformations in one's consciousness through mitzvos, but it takes a lot of practice, a lot of time, and a lot of work, and there are pitfalls along the way. There are many pitfalls along the way. Another important distinction between mitzvos and psychoactive substances has to do with the word substance. In the excerpts cited above, Pollen places great emphasis on plant chemistry and brain chemistry. Quote, we have identified a whole collection of molecules in nature that allow us to do that. Quote, think of these psychoactive molecules as mutagens. Quote, the encounter of a mind and a plant molecule changes things. End quote. Whereas plants interact with our minds via their molecules, mitzvos affect our molecules via our minds. Yet herein lies another similarity between plants and mitzvos. Pollen writes on page 11, quote, Much like a food, a psychoactive drug is not a thing without a human brain and is inert, so much as it is a relationship. It takes both a molecule and a mind to make anything happen. The premise of this book is that these three relationships, with opium, caffeine, and mescaline, hold up mirrors to our deepest human needs and aspirations, the operations of our minds, and our entanglement with the natural world, end quote. Certain schools of thought within Judaism promote the notion that the physical performance of a mitzvah per se has a mystical effect on the universe. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch lamented that, that this outlook reduces a mitzvah to, quote, a magic mechanism, a means of influencing or resisting theosophic worlds and anti-worlds, end quote, from letter 18. I do not subscribe to such a view. Borrowing Pollen's turn of phrase, I would say that, quote, a mitzvah is not a thing— Without a human soul, it is inert, so much as it is a relationship. It takes both a mitzvah and a mind to make anything happen. Happen. Footnote. Strictly speaking, this is only true for two out of three of the Ramam's categories of mitzvah reasons. The inculcation of hashkafos, views of reality, and midos, character traits. The third type of reason, to establish righteous conduct or remove injustice, is accomplished in many cases without the mind. For example, building a parapet around your roof still protects people from falling, even if you don't think about it. But the purpose of establishing a just society is to allow human beings to flourish by developing their minds and character traits. In this sense, these mitzvahs are inert without minds. Section 4, Questions to Ponder for Part 2. I didn't choose to write an article about the psychoactive properties of the four species solely because this mitzvah involves plants. I chose to write about it because of how this mitzvah is presented in the written Torah. Quote from Vayikra 2340, You shall take for yourself on the first day the fruit of a citron tree. Sorry, you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of a citron tree, the branches of date palms, twigs of a plated tree, and brook willows, and you shall rejoice before Hashem your God for a seven-day period. End quote. Hashem introduces us to the Arba Aminim with overtly psychoactive language, urging us to take these plants and rejoice. If you can think of another Ma'asah mitzvah, another mitzvah action, for which the Torah explicitly states, do this behavior as a means of achieving this emotional state, let me know, because I can't think of one. My questions are, one, what effect is mitzvah's lulav supposed to have? And two, how does it achieve this effect? How is merely taking the four species intended to bring us to a state of simcha, rejoicing? What is the nature of this simcha? What is its purpose within the philosophy and values of Torah? In the next installment, or installments in this series, we will examine three approaches, that of the Rambam, Sefer Chinuch, and the Rabbag. For now, I leave it to you to ponder and discuss these questions yourself. What do you think?
If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbischneeweiss at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading, and thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.